Welcome to Selem et Terra, where the best the world has to offer meets the wisdom of heaven. My name is Christian Herring, and I'll be your host as we journey through the study of the humanities from a Christian worldview. Welcome back as we uh, to part two of our journey through the Epic of Gilgamesh, or our our look, rather, at the Epic of Gilgamesh. Um, so last time I kind of gave you some introductory material on on the Epic of Gilgamesh, what it is, when it is, and, and all that, and began looking at the story itself, and um, finished up with the part in the narrative, and this is in, let's see here, uh, book seven, when Enkidu, Gilgamesh's best friend, this beast man that was actually sent to kill him, uh, and they become best friends and go on these journeys and adventures together, dies. And this is a turning point in the epic. And, well, let me just, let me just read for you kind of how it ends. Let's see. The day that Enkidu had his dreams, his strength began failing. For twelve long days he was deathly sick. He lay in his bed in agony, unable to rest. And every day he grew worse at last. He sat up and called out to Gilgamesh, Have you abandoned me now, dear friend? You told me that you would come to help me when I was afraid, but I cannot see you. You have not come to fight off this danger. Yet weren't we to remain forever inseparable, you and I? When he heard the death rattle, Gilgamesh moaned. Like a dove, his face grew dark. Beloved, wait, don't leave me. Dearest of men, don't die. Don't let them take you from me. This is it. This is the end of, of Enkidu. And, and the next good bit is, is this lament that Gilgamesh gives for, for Enkidu. Hear me, elders. Hear me, young men. My beloved friend is dead. He is dead. My beloved brother is dead. I will mourn as long as I breathe. I will sob for him like a woman who has lost her only child. O oh, Enkidu, you were the axe at my side in which my arm trusted, the knife in my sheath, the shield I carried, my glorious robe, the wide belt around my loins, and now a harsh fate has torn you from me forever. And he goes on and on and on. Um, so at this point, after Gilgamesh mourns uh, for his his best friend, mourns for for his brother. He he has this, you know, we might call it a an existential crisis. Uh, crisis of faith, this moment where he just basically says, I'm going to die too. If, if my best friend is going to die, then 
you know, am I going to have to face this? Um, and it, it pushes him or it, it motivates him to go on a quest for eternal life. Now, before I get into that, though, I, and I think I mentioned this in the previous episode, you know, when we look at <clears throat> Gilgamesh and Enkidu's friendship, you know, this is one of the places where where we actually see something really good in this in this epic. There's there's a lot of of bad. There's a lot that we wouldn't want to to emulate. You know, we don't we don't want to be the the womanizing, you know, arrogant kind of dirtbag that we see Gilgamesh as at at the beginning of the story. That's a we we would use that as a as a warning, okay, as a don't be like this. But in this case, we see I think something very very beautiful and if something is true and good and beautiful then then we should uh we should embrace that right because if if something is true good and beautiful then it has to be from from god i'm not saying that gilgamesh and enkidu and any of this is given to us by god but we can see a godly theme in the friendship between Gilgamesh and Enkidu. And again, I believe I'm, I made mention of it or hinted at it in the last episode that, that the friendship that we see between these two is, is in a lot of ways reflective or, or kind of mirrors the friendship that we see with um, David and Jonathan in, in the Old Testament. And this is a kind of friendship that uh, if you are, a fan like I am of Lord of the Rings, we see this type of friendship displayed in that as well. We see it between Sam and Frodo. We see a a brotherhood and a love between, the, and it's kind of a glimmer, <laughs> um, between Aragorn and Boromir, at least at the end um, of Boromir's life. And... I fear that the ability to have this kind of friendship in our current culture is being, I don't know, it's, it's being hindered. Because when you, when you look at this, if you look at Gilgamesh and Enkidu or Sam and Frodo or Jonathan and... David through a 21st century Western lens, cultural lens, which, you know, we're, we're forced to do at least just by virtue of the fact that we live in that context. We try to overcome that and, and look through, you know, get not, not put too much weight on that, that worldview, but, but those are the, the glasses that, most of us are going to be looking through initially. And it's tempting to look at that and say, oh, these guys must have been, they must have been gay. They must have been homosexual. Uh, because you can't have that level of relationship. And I, and I don't mean 
if if I say intimacy, that's that's the word I want to use, but I don't want that to be misconstrued as physical intimacy. That's not what I mean. But if you're going to have that level of affection, there's a good word. No, I think intimacy is good. <laughs> but if you're going to have that level of affection and intimacy for somebody of your own gender, of your own sex, then you must be you must be gay. I've I've sat in lectures in seminary where they argue and talk about how obviously David and Jonathan were were gay and and so forth. <clears throat> I think that is I think that's tragic. Um first of all because of the the sin uh that that homosexuality is okay um but also because it it disallows the possibility of their of of me as a man having a a deep relationship with another man without it having the connotation of being sexual okay and I, and i think that's i think that's harmful i think i think what we see in so many cases in again in things like david and jonathan nobody i think should if you read the epic of gilgamesh it would be hard to label either of these two protagonist as being homosexual um just just based on the context and the rest of it um but i believe we're called to and and i believe as christians we are able to enjoy that level of of friendship i'll use that word that level of affection for for someone else because of our unity in in Christ. I mean that's why, you know, in our vernacular as Christians we, you know, often talk about each other as brother and sister, okay? We get that because of what Christ has done for us and the fact that we are adopted into his family. So I, I think that is a good thing to see modeled for us in the Epic of Gilgamesh. And and again, seeing a a deep affectionate relationship between two men that is not sexual in nature um, and not, ooh, I'd like to, you know, marry you or be your partner. Okay. So that's good. We, we can take that, that good and, um, and, and cling to that. So we move on past kind of shift gears. Now Gilgamesh is, at his, like I said, his existential crisis. You know, how can I bear this sorrow that gnaws at my belly, this fear of death that restlessly drives me onward? If only I could find the one man whom the gods made immortal, I would ask him how to overcome death. So now that Enkidu has died, Gilgamesh is going to go on a quest for eternal life. This is perhaps one of, if not the great questions of human existence. You know, what happens after death? Can I live 
forever. And, and I believe the Bible hints at this, or not, not even hints, but says this. <clears throat> and I believe it's Solomon in Ecclesiastes, and he talks about, you know, eternity being stamped on the human heart. Now, you know, some of my students, I talk about how I, I believe, just in, in my own experience and what I've read in books, you know, great works like this, what I've read of the Bible, what I've seen in own conversation with other people, is that I, I believe there is a desire in the human heart to live forever. Okay, and, and some of my students are like, no, no, I, I don't, I don't want to live forever. Look at this world, and that that's not what I mean, you know, necessarily live forever in this broken, fallen world. I mean, you look at something like Marxism, okay, which is is a uh, godless worldview and ideology, and and yet there is a the end goal of Marxism is is utopia. There, there is a desire, I think, for people to live as long as we can. And there's a hope that we will live forever. I'll give you an example. And I've shared this with, with uh, my class and, and some other folks. When I was teaching high school equivalency, I, I had a student who, um, he was 15 years old, super intelligent. I mean, very into kind of tech, you know, building computers, building, you know, different robotics and, and things like this. And, and he was intelligent in that, in that area, very focused. Um, but his, his goal (laughs) in life that he shared with us as the class was that he wanted to, to replace as many of his body parts as possible with robotics so that he could live forever. And this was a, this was a young man who's an absolute, complete, and total atheist, okay? And yet, he has this desire to live forever. I think that is stamped on the human heart. I think it's placed there by God. And here is the earliest, you know, the first story that that humans tell this epic of Gilgamesh and a good third of the book or a good third of the epic is is devoted to Gilgamesh's quest for eternal life all right this is this is no small this is this is indeed the great conversation okay um most basic, profound questions that we can ask. How do you live forever? Well, his solution is to find the man who the gods had made eternal, who had granted eternal life to. Uh, and I'm going to mess up his pronunciation a lot. Yunapushtim. Um, Tim is, I believe, how it is pronounced. And he is the man who survived a great flood, (laughs) right? And the story is sort of complicated. Um, The gods have decided that they're going to wipe out humanity. Um, And one of the gods, 
I think it's in Lille, in Lille, and I could be mis, um, telling you wrong there. Uh, I want to get it right, but I believe it's in Lille. Comes down and and whispers the plan to, yeah. Okay, let's see here. This is in book 11. Anu, their father, the counselor in Lil, Ninurta, the god's chamberlain, and Inugi, the sheriff, Ea, also the cleverest of the gods, had taken the oath that is not to um, tell people about this flood. But I heard him whisper the secret to the reed fence around my house. Reed fence, reed fence, listen to my words. King of Shurupa, quickly, quickly, tear down your house and build a great ship. Leave your possessions, save your life. The ship must be square so that its length equals its width. Build a roof over it, just as the great deep is covered by the earth. Then gather and take aboard the ship examples of every living creature. <laughs> okay, this is Aya. I'm sorry, it was Aya, not Enlil, that, that whispered this. Um, so this kind of think Loki, um, this clever, mischievous god, quote-unquote whispers the plan to the fence around Yunapushtim's yard, basically. <clears throat> and... You know, it's kind of that whisper it loud enough so that the next person can hear it situation. He hears it. He builds this boat to survive this flood. And if you read through um, Book 11, what you will find is extraordinary correlation between the the story of this great flood in the Epic of Gilgamesh and the biblical narrative of the flood in Genesis. Um, you know, now, then Shamash announced that the time had come. Enter the ship now, seal the hatch. Okay, sounds like what God did for Noah. Um, let's see. Tearing through the mountains and valleys, Nergal, the god of pestilence, ripped out the dams of the great deep. Ninurta opened the floodgates of heaven. The infernal gods blazed and set the whole land on fire. The land was shattered like a clay pot. It, I'm not going to say it's word for word, but it is, I mean, incredibly similar to the flood narrative in the Bible. And a lot of times, and, and really what, what people have done, skeptics have done, is they've said, well, look, this this story of the flood is, is about the same as Noah's story, the, the story in the Bible. And this was written much earlier than, um, than Genesis was written, because think if Genesis is written by Moses and Gilgamesh is written around the time of Abraham. I mean, that's a lot. That's a huge difference. That's hundreds of years difference. And so skeptics will say, look, 
Moses obviously just copied uh, Gilgamesh, or if he didn't copy it, he'd heard the story, so he just, you know, put his Yahweh spin on it, and there you have it. You know, copy and paste. Copied it. I, of course, disagree with that. And one of the fascinating things is that that so many cultures in in our world have a flood narrative, have a flood story. And so instead of looking at those and saying, well, they're all just, see, the one in the Bible is just as fictional as the other ones, I, to me, what, if it doesn't make more sense, which I think it does, it at least makes as much sense to say, well, if all of these diverse cultures have this same story, maybe there is a common truth at the root of all of it. Because remember, like I said, Gilgamesh is, I believe he's a real person. He was not two-thirds divine, one-third human, but he's a real person, real king of a real city named Uruk. Okay? I, I believe there was a real catastrophic flood in the ancient times and I believe that that Genesis the Genesis account is the true one now I don't believe that because I put Genesis account up next to Gilgamesh and say well this one just sounds more real it's because of what I what I know about the Bible okay as a whole all right and and because I I believe the Bible, and I, I can't get into my reasons for that right now, but because I believe the Bible is true and all that it says, then I believe that if there are various accounts of this flood, then Noah's is the true one. And then we can argue all about that if you want to, but um, there's an incredibly similar flood story in Gilgamesh uh, as to as there is in, in Genesis. Now, point being, when Yunapashtam, Tim, survives the flood, actually he and his wife, then, then the gods grant the two of them eternal life and put them in this special place uh, that's, you know, kind of, I mean, call it what you want, Valhalla, you know, uh, Valinor, um, Abraham's bosom. They, they put them in this nice, this kind of secret place, but it's a place that you can get to. And so Gilgamesh goes to um, to find it, and he's successful. And it's fascinating. Like it's, a, it's fun to read what like the the story is. You know him getting there. I'm not going to get into it, but but read it. Uh, but he gets to this one place where he has to get onto a. Um, I think this is where he has to go through a. a tunnel basically through the earth uh, that the sun goes through and Shaduri is the kind of the guardian and Shaduri says Gilgamesh why are you roaming now listen to this you will never find the eternal life that you seek when the gods created mankind they also created death and they held back eternal life for themselves alone humans are born they live, then they die. This is the order that the gods have decreed. 
But until the end comes, enjoy your life. Spend it in happiness, not despair. Savor your food. Make each of your days a delight. Bathe and anoint yourself. Wear bright clothes that are sparkling clean. Let music and dancing fill your house. Love the child who holds you by the hand and give your wife pleasure in your embrace. This is the best way for a man to live. Now, a couple of things here. One, the ancient Akkadian understanding of of life and eternal life is that the gods had eternal life and when they created man they didn't they didn't grant eternal life to man and so the best solution then gilgamesh you can't have eternal life so the best thing is to what eat drink and be merry enjoy the life that you do have okay delight in it savor your food make each of your days a delight spend it in happiness not despair like there's some good some good advice here, right? We should enjoy our life. I, I think God has given us this life and this world to enjoy. Now, it's not for us to enjoy as much as eternity, but there's no reason why we should not enjoy this life in spite of all the difficulties that, that come our way. But here's the, here's the gotcha, here's the difference. The biblical Christian worldview doesn't say that that the gods, and of course God, that when God created mankind, he created death and held back eternal life for himself. In fact, the biblical Christian worldview says, no, when God created man, he, he gave them eternal life. And that, and that death entered the scene as a consequence of sin. Okay, that what God has designed is not for us to to face death. Our, we are designed actually for eternal life. This is different from from that that ancient worldview, right? And and he keeps kind of getting this advice. As he goes along, he finally gets to um, to Yudnapishtim, and he gets more more good advice. Here's what it says: It says Yudnapishtim said, "Gilgamesh, prolong why prolong your grief?" Have you ever paused to compare your own blessed lot with a fool's? You were made from the flesh of both gods and humans. The gods have lavished you with their gifts, as though they were your fathers and mothers. From your birth they assigned you a throne and told you, Rule over men. To the fool they gave beer dregs instead of butter, stale crust instead of bread that is fit for gods, rags instead of magnificent garments. Instead of a wide fringed belt, an old rope, and a frantic, senseless, dissatisfied mind. Now listen to this. Can't you see how fortunate you are? So this is like this is fantastic. Okay, here is is Gilgamesh, who is 
wrought with grief. He goes. He now goes on this quest for eternal life, and the people that he runs into are saying, "You're <laughs> wrong search, man. You're you're searching for the wrong thing. You need to enjoy the life that you have been given." And again, like that, that could take a a kind of hedonistic um, turn if we're not careful. But then he gets to this this guy that has lived forever, that has eternal life. And, and he looks at Gilgamesh and he says, man, you just need to, you need to take stock of your life. Like here you are, you are mourning. And, and of course, no one would, would fault somebody for mourning the loss of their friend. But Gilgamesh, you need to stop and think about how, how blessed you are. Can't you see how fortunate you are? You have worn yourself out through ceaseless striving. You have filled your muscles with pain and anguish. And what have you achieved but to bring yourself, listen to this, one day nearer to the end of your days? You've wasted your time, Gilgamesh. What you should have been doing was enjoying the life that you have. Now, Again, I think as Christians, we have an eternal hope. And, and this life will never be as good as, as eternity with Christ. But let's be honest, there is a, a sense in which we, we need to count our blessings. Right? Because it's super easy to turn on the news or pull up Facebook, especially pull up, pull up social media and, you know, you see everybody's perfect life or you watch the news or listen to the news and all you hear about is terrible things. COVID, vaccinations, masks, murders, riots, you name it. And we get into a, a woe is me kind of mindset. And and I love, and I can't remember where it is exactly. I'd have to look it up. I don't have my Bible in front of me. Shame on me. You know, where Paul says, I, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself in. And here was a guy who, who was shipwrecked all the time, being beaten, stoned, switched, you name it, starved, stripped naked. And he says, listen, I've learned to be content. In, in the situations that I find myself in. Why? Because I have Christ. You know, and, and today I, I woke up and today I, I had breath in my lungs and I, I have three healthy kids that I love, that love me. How blessed am I? Like it's, it's easy to get down and in those moments, like like Gilgamesh here, we need somebody to give us that reality check and be like, hey, listen, even if it's bad, it's not that bad. So it's, I mean, think about Gilgamesh here. He is in depression. He has sought something that people keep telling him he cannot have. And then what they keep telling him is, Listen, you just enjoy today. Enjoy the day that you have. And and you know, what does what does Jesus say? Don't worry about tomorrow. 
uh, James talks about don't, you know, we should be making plans and saying, if the Lord allows, because we're a vapor. We're, we're like grass that, you know, one day it's here and the next day it's, it's being burned up or it's withered away. Time is short. We need to make the most of the days because the days are evil. And so while the advice he was given by the tavern keeper, Gilgamesh, that is, was, you know, eat, drink, and be merry, which I think is kind of self-serving as a tavern keeper. The advice for the Christian is don't waste today. Glorify God today. You know, make much of Christ today. <clears throat> so he searches for eternal life and basically Unapishtim says you know you can't have it I can't give it to you but there's this there's this plant that you can get that's the plant of you know youthfulness um, it's it's a plant that'll help you live forever. That's that's the best I can do, basically, is what he tells him. And there's a really funny story about you not pushed him testing Gilgamesh, which he utterly fails. Um <laughs> But let's see, let's see, where are we? I'm coming. Coming to it. It's a secret of the gods. There is a small spiny bush that grows in the waters of the great deep. It has sharp spikes that will prick your fingers like a rose's thorns. If you find this plant and bring it to the surface, you will have found the secret of youth. So Gilgamesh is on his on his way back and and he finds this plant. <laughs> but ironically, um, a snake steals it from him, and that's it. It says, Gilgamesh saw what the snake had done. He sat down and wept. He said to the boatman, what shall I do now? All my hardships have been for nothing. Oh, you're Shanabi. Was it for this that my hands labored? Was it for this that I gave my heart's blood I have gained no benefit for myself but have lost the marvelous plant to a reptile I plucked it from the depths and how could I ever manage to find the place again and our little boat we left it on the shore <laughs> and that like that's almost the end there's three more stanzas um, to Gilgamesh he searches for eternal life he finds Unapishtim fails his test to get get eternal life, which he's not going to get anyway. He he gives him the secret to the plant of youth. He finds it, and then a snake, and like, isn't, isn't that, I mean, does that not scream Garden of Eden? A snake takes it from him, and that's it. No eternal life for Gilgamesh. He goes and and yet 
his legacy lives on four or five thousand years later. <clears throat> Gilgamesh is <laughs> the more I read it, the more I spend time with it, the more I I love it. It is an ancient story. I think it tells us a lot about ourselves. It it tells us a lot about humanity. Not necessarily all the good stuff. There's definitely some rotten stuff in here that we don't want to emulate. But it asks and it 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 deals with some of the most profound questions that humans have asked. Friendship, eternal life. And it doesn't, it rarely, I would say, gives us the biblical worldview answer. But it helps us to, I think, see how beautiful God's redemptive plan is. How beautiful the truth is as revealed to us in God's word. So I'm going to wrap it up. Uh, Gilgamesh is good. I, I want to recommend it to you. Again, look for the Stephen Mitchell translation. Uh, you will find it not just easier to read, but downright enjoyable. So take a look at that. Um, I just want to thank you for listening, and I hope you have gotten something out of it. And if you haven't read Gilgamesh yet, I hope maybe now you will. And maybe there'll be more episodes on Gilgamesh after I read it next time and get something else out of it. So thanks again for listening. We'll catch you next time. 